Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nika Anani and I am your host. Here on The Connected Generation, we explore all things legacy wealth and legacy businesses, how you can build businesses and wealth that would outlive the founder and have sustained impact, not only over time, but also over space. And we invite guests from all over the world to share a thing or two on how to build legacy businesses, both business owners as well as expert teachers. And we have these conversations in an environment of authenticity, curiosity and vulnerability. This week, I was joined by Joe Sito, who is a phenomenal guest. He is a wealth advisor to business owners and to high net worth families passionate about providing financial planning and wealth management services to help his clients get the most life out of their wealth. I really love that. He's also a podcast host. Um, His podcast is phenomenal. It's called The Ripcord Moment, where he explores exit planning. He showcases the owners and their team of trusted advisors who have navigated challenges structured successful deals, and ultimately achieved their perfect landing. I would encourage you to tune into this episode. It is a phenomenal one. We unpacked Joe's evolution, unpacked common challenges folks face when dealing with exit planning, tips around financial planning, and just general transitions. So tune in and enjoy. Hi, Joe. Welcome to The Connected Generation. It's awesome to have you. Oh, welcome. I'm, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here with you. I'm really looking forward to our discussion today. Likewise, likewise. You are a wealth advisor to business owners and high net worth families. But before yes. we get into that, I'm always curious on people's journeys, like how and why this? How did you get here? Yeah, so I actually started off like as a psychology major, um, I think when I was in college. Uh, actually, originally before that, I thought I'd be an engineer. Um, but the, you know, growing up as a kid in the 80s and, and my parents, you know, we, we grew up pretty blue collar, um, certainly a, a very fine upbringing. Um, but what I noticed was, at least for us and, and uh, for me specifically, this, mm-hmm. this idea of really being in control of your own time. Uh, you know, my father worked for the government for, and it was literally the same job from the time he graduated, I believe, high school until he retired in his mid fifties. And while it provided mm-hmm. a very comfortable lifestyle for us, it was a grind uh, for him. Mm-hmm. Um, he commuted from a suburb in Maryland, um, Frederick, where we lived, down to DC and back every day. And I can remember thinking how challenging it was that he had to do that five days a week. Um, and and while you know we took some family vacations. Um, this notion of creating wealth and having your wealth work for you was always kind of an interesting concept in my mind. And so, um, that coupled with, uh, my parents actually went through a divorce when I was in high school and it, and, and even into, you know, college. And I can remember having discussions with my mother at a very relatively young age around that she just didn't know how to, you know, um, necessarily manage finances in a way that, um, were, um, I, I felt to the level that I knew that was something that could impact families materially. Mm-hmm. So, um, those were just some of the things that very early on, um, influenced my, I think my decision-making in my career. 
really, really fascinating. I'm really curious about, based on your experience, like you said, growing up and your dad not necessarily having as much time freedom as you would love. Yeah. Um, and that's really inspired a lot of what you do today. I'm really intrigued. What would you have loved to to have more time to do as a family? Like, what does yeah. time freedom mean um, to you? I want to, yeah, no, I mean, I think one thing I, I'm, I'm always sort of um, amazed by was he always made time for like my sporting events, both myself and my sister. And so on that, I, you know, I, I have to almost commend him that it's actually something that I have to use as a model for myself, even with my own children mm-hmm. these days. But beyond that, um, one of the things that myself and my wife are very passionate about is travel uh, and seeing the world. And, and so, you know, even like right now, right? We're in a position where the economy is challenging for many. Mm. You hear a lot about how there's just this, there's no longer the middle class, right? right. You're sort of seeing more of that um, bifurcation between sort of the haves and the have nots. And so um, for me, definitely this idea around allowing your wealth to create more life experiences, uh, which I think is a very different thing for sort of the Gen Xers, the millennials, the Gen Zers, then some of the baby boomers, um, at least some of the studies that we see and some of the um, discussions that we have in, uh, is even around this idea of experiences. And not that travel isn't important for you know many, many of my baby boomer clients, but especially while in their working years, it seems like it's not quite as important um, relative to, to our generation and again, some of the younger ones. So I think there's that. That's why I'm so passionate about financial planning, right? And using it as a catalyst really I call it life planning, right? What are the things mm. you want to see in your life that give it that richness, that fullness, that makes it, you know, um, worthwhile in terms of putting in the, you know, working hard and putting in your time and uh, et cetera, balancing that out. Mm. I'm so intrigued by what you said about generational differences and desire for experiences. Um, yeah. And on, I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit more, like what kind of patterns and trends are you spotting um yeah yeah Yeah. one one of the things that i think we notice for example even as a company morton our company um and is that in the labor force right it it, the the notion before was always like go to college get a four-year degree you know get a job as a doctor or a lawyer or you know maybe a ceo and so this notion of like moving up the corporate ladder and status and and while I think success is being more redefined around, especially I think for the younger generations, and we're finding even with many that are at our company around like, really, what does a company stand for? What is its mission? Right. What change agent does it represent? Um, sort of empowering the younger generation. Those are things that I, I think if companies aren't speaking to that, they're in many ways, I believe, missing the mark. Because it's not resonating. And I think we saw it a lot even within the, the great resignation that occurred where people are really taking inventory around how they're spending their time. Not only right. in their personal lives, but really around you know how they're spending it in their work lives. Right, right. Really insightful. And it's interesting in terms of even financial freedom. I think the younger generation really yeah. put a premium on time freedom. Like you said, mm-hmm. work-life balance. Um, totally. Right? But they're older, they don't necessarily have as much financial freedom as their parents did when they were at the same age. And, yeah, you know, the older gen don't have as much, didn't have as much work-life balance, but they had more financial security. And it's this 
is there a tension between the two or is it lifestyle choices that have led to these trends you know it's an interesting it's an interesting thing because i i think on the one hand so like what, what some of the things that just on a personal level i'm fascinated by and i think we're seeing a movement more into this around you see this idea of like these tiny homes coming up right because mm-hmm. housing is so challenging right in terms of buying up a big house uh buying a house period Right. You know, we, I'm in Southern California, right, where I think it was just voted Los Angeles, the fourth most expensive city in the world. Um, wow. So so th- where, where I'm going with this is you're seeing all kinds of trends around related to, to housing, uh, whether it's buying the house or the idea, right, you know, rents are escalating. Um, I become a little bit more fascinated with minimalism. Right. Mm. And, the, and this whole it's the old 80 20 rule. Right. Um, we use like 20 percent of the stuff that we have in our closet. Right. right. And so what I'm fascinated by is I think, you know, American American culture is one that is def- defined so much by consumerism. Right. 70 mm-hmm. percent of GDP is, is, is consumption. And so there's a, a little bit of a, a push and a pull here around the construct of our economy. Right. Mm-hmm. Revolves around personal consumption. And yet it's almost like I feel from and I hear from so many people not just in the wealth management arena of our clients, but just friends and, and colleagues around, right? There's, we're working hard to then attain the things that we think are going to bring us that feeling of happiness inside. But I believe in many ways, it becomes a little bit of a, a, a death trap, mm-hmm. right? A hamster wheel that once you kind of get on, it's really challenging to get away from that because, you know, everyone in your circle of community that you're running with, you know, has that nice car, right? They're sending their kids to private school. They're they're buying a bigger house, right? Mm-hmm. They're wearing nicer clothes or going on those trips. And so a, a lot of it really comes down to, I think, in many ways, having a very strong sense of what you truly value, mm. right? Almost being able to block out the outside world. And it's really hard to do. This is this is not something that is done easily. Mm-hmm. Um to take the time to think through, like, why am I buying that extra suit? <clears throat> right. Why, why am I doing these other things? And the other part of this is, right, I mean, we have to actually just think about it, right? We use plastic now, right, for our debit cards, our credit cards. We don't really even process, right, the amount of time that we work that then we have to pay tax on to have X amount of funds and it's like the entire system is so quick to have it pull it right out of our hands. I mean, right. I can grab my iPhone, I can order whatever I want on Amazon at the blink of a hat, right? It's determined perhaps by some emotional subconscious thing that I have going on. Right. Right. And all of a sudden it's like I have less amount of cash in my, my bank account, less amount for my retirement, less amount for my savings. So um yeah there's a lot there to unpack yeah no there is a lot there to unpack but i think it really is speaking to values versus valuables and we can be so oriented as a culture to seek the valuables but like you said what really matters like what are your values and what what do you like to spend your time on who are the relate what relationships are truly important to you what in your world is really important to you and being very intentional around that yeah um, you are also a podcast host. Um, yeah. Yeah. And you're, you explore exit planning and 
I'd love to unpack that a little bit more. Sure. Um, what are you seeing in terms of business owners and the common struggles that they navigate as they're thinking through yeah. what's next and selling? <laughs> yeah, I, I think one of the things that, well, one is there's become much more awareness and I'm pleased and I've become part of this sort of, I don't want to call it a cottage industry, but maybe in many ways, it's this this idea of having a process really around succession planning <clears throat> for businesses and, and really specifically in the lower middle market, right? I mean, you know, we're not necessarily only talking about the Fortune 500 companies or the companies that go, you know, IPO, right? The Facebooks of the world or, or Amazons, those are, you know, so few and far between. But the the notion that, you know, um, someone who has a, a business that's maybe generating a couple million dollars a year and you know, and profitability, um, that they could take it from what is called like a lifestyle business, right? Uh, one that's providing the owner really a really nice lifestyle. And with um, a little bit of thought and a little bit of sort of, you know, I hate to use the word institutionalized, but really sort of taking it from a mom and pop shop to uh, one that is a true enterprise, right? That can really essentially run like a real business that has a bit of formal structure around it that you can transfer those earnings from that business, extract the owner out and do so in a way that allows the owner to really um, fulfill their their life goals, their mm. life mission. It's almost used the business in many ways to catapult that owner mm. from being a business owner to the next level. Um, one of the areas I'll say that, so anyways, there's been a lot more formalization around the idea of, you know, bringing, bringing a team together of professional advisors, both uh, externally. Uh, so the estate attorney, the wealth manager, uh, evalu- evaluation expert, the investment banker, the corporate transaction attorney, the CPA, et cetera, maybe mm. a CFO for hire if you need, if you, coupled with internal people like a CFO for hire if you need it, HR, um, you know, growth professionals, et cetera, to, to help the owner do this. So they're not trying to do it on their own. Mm. Um, there's obviously always been, you know, really good professionals, I feel, around the financial planning aspect, the tax aspect, the investment banking. Um, where, what I think most owners struggle with is more the personal identity piece. And it's actually one that I'm really passionate about mm-hmm. because I see so oftentimes they they really struggle with what is their identity after the business, mm-hmm. right? They've identified so much in either as the entrepreneur that started the company or as the CEO that ran it. And how can we help them think about themselves and recreate their identity in a way beyond that that helps them actually maybe I almost use like high, uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid where right at the base level, it's like, you know, your survival, your security, mm-hmm. you're providing your food. And, and then, you know, th- then you move up, you've got a little bit of social status. But the very top of that pyramid is essentially self-actualization, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a lot about personal identity and how we define ourselves and how that identity evolves throughout our lives. And so those who are able to take the time to really dig into what that is and get comfortable with that and whether it's going on to maybe become um, a community leader as, you know, something in the realm of becoming, let's just say, you know, running for, you know, mayor or Mm -hmm. um, getting involved in policy 
and using their influence and their skills at a higher level. Or maybe it's starting a nonprofit, right? Because now they feel like they have done so well that they really want to have impact, right? I think that's really in many ways what it comes down to is what is their impact now going to be? And can it be at a much broader level if that's something that resonates with them where they're taking that influence um, and their financial means and resources Mm. and their time, right? And you have, you've created an alignment. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's a lot there. Yeah, no, the identity piece is is major. And as you were describing, like the formalization of, I guess, the exit planning kind of ecosystem and how often it's folks that have built a lifestyle business and bringing in professionals. Um, And I was like, that sounds like the kind of business that your typical rugged entrepreneur would not like to be involved in. And, And because they've quite often carefully curated this business around their their needs right it's a reflection of them right and so what have you seen that um do you have any stories to share in terms of how you help folks really get clear on this identity piece in this like transition period yeah, I mean, oftentimes we're needing to have, you know, maybe a coach, uh, like, a you know, someone who's like a life coach very much brought in. Um, it, it's not so much. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, do, like, I'll give you an example right now of somebody I'm working with. He's he's on the younger side who, um, you know, um, you know, between 40 and 50 has done very well. And you know, for essentially their 30s, late 20s, 30s, and early 40s, this person's, you know, their identity has been a CEO of their their company, right? That they started, mm-hmm. they've had a successful transaction on the sales side. I would say they've done well on the financial side. So that's kind of two legs of the stool. The third is that identity piece, right? And so it's something you cannot rush. Um, it's something that takes time. You can't force it. Uh, we've brought in somebody who's essentially like a life coach. It's a psychologist, a trained business coach too, or trained coach, I should say, that that helps business owners, but more on the psychological piece to mm. help them think through like what what does their essentially next mission look like and what can they pour themselves into in a way. But a lot of it's it's, you know, this concept of like, again, being open to, and I think this is the critical thing that you're touching on a minute ago around they have to be willing to want to grow to a next level. Mm. Right? If, they, if they just absolutely aren't wanting to or willing to, or don't even, that's not even just sort of in their ethos, right, of who they are, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's not going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen. And, and I mean, one of the stories, and this is actually something that predates my getting involved with the Exit Planning Institute and, and a lot of this work that I'm doing now was I had a client, and this probably was 2012, 2013, before I became one of the owners of Morton, um, he was a regular wealth management client, happened to be a small business owner. Um, I tried to introduce, I did introduce a business broker into the mix. We went down the rabbit, because he had said, I'm open to selling it if we can get X. And so I was trying to bring in the right pieces, but what I never real so the long and the short of it was, um, literally died like at his desk in his late seventies. Oh my goodness. Um, uh, was not, never really, and actually in conversations with the wife, what she had said was, yeah, he never really wanted to sell. And it was, it was mm. interesting. And that that really was right on the actions on the one hand being different than the words. And it mm. wasn't until after the fact. And I think, I mean, I think maybe I was a little naive, right? 
um, because the valuation that he was asking for and what the guidance was from the business broker, they were just totally out of alignment, right? He had some prefabricated number in his head that just was not what any rational buyer would be willing to pay. Mm. But beyond that, it was more the psychological thing that the wife drove home, which was he just wasn't ever going to let go. And he never did. But the impact that I saw, and which is what started to fascinate me around how I think owners don't take the time to think about who it's going to impact beyond them. Mm. So the family. So now, now I fast forward to this, this widow who is in her late seventies, who's now right. She owns the business. She has to jump in and essentially run it when for the last 15, 20 years, you know, her time was doing other things, other things that she's passionate about. And this was an abrupt change in, um, in, in, in her life. Right. And she felt a sense of responsibility to the employees, to the clients, to the vendors. Um, it was just a really eye opening experience for me back then. So I always keep that kind of at the back of my mind as to why this planning I think is so mission critical. If, look, if somebody wants to run their business, like a lifestyle, lifestyle, like a true lifestyle business, where it's like, I work it, it provides me a good business, my family, a good lifestyle, quote unquote, I make good money. But the day that uh, I decide I don't want to work anymore, then basically the business shuts down, right? Right. Because it's all dependent on that person, right? Typically is, mm. is how that's run. And so it's not something that can, the earnings of that company, unless proper planning at the business level is done to, can be, will it be transferred to a buyer? It's mm. just, you know, mm. unless they're willing to be an employee of that organization, mm. right? Which again, 90, I, I very rarely have met there's very few times where that, that ends up working out. Hmm. That's a fascinating story. And I have so many questions, but I'm sure you have more questions because like, yeah, he's yeah. not here anymore. So yeah. could you address those questions too? But I'm really intrigued as yeah. to um, why he was making, presenting it as a quantitative issue to you, but frankly, it was a qualitative issue. <clears throat> um, I, I don't think, I think sometimes they don't know. I think right. there's, there is, I think, there, and that's part of the challenge with this, the, the planning and why I think it's integral to have um, a member of the team that who can really, who's qualified and can speak to some of these psychological issues. Right. Right. Because um, it's, it's so challenging. Um, and I think it's such an area where we're untrained in, right? Again, there's, there's textbook on tax. There's right. so many, right. There's textbook on wealth management, the technical aspects around there's textbook, like there's technical proficiency around um, the, the legal aspect, right. right. Um, even around many of the business issues around, you know, HR and crafting a vision statement and around how to, you know, manage a sales organization and, yeah. and whatever technical services that company provides. But it's the psychological component of the, the the owner, right? That is the most overlooked, and it's one of the most, um, you know, it's so so much soft skills associated with it. Mm-hmm. It also requires a tremendous amount of vulnerability mm-hmm. on behalf of the owner to be willing to, again, you, you they have to be willing to see themselves in a different light. Right. And I like that is it. And that is a very scary thing, I think, for us as humans. Right. Because we are our ego is so attached to our identity. Oh, yeah. However, we've defined it. Right. 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 I mean, I'll give you just a random example. And that was, you know, I played football from the time I was, you know, I don't know, 10 years old until I graduated college when I was 22. So 
10, 12 years or something like that. And I can remember like, you know, that process when I played my last college football game, I even feel emotional right now. This is mm. I'm 46. Like that was you know 24 years ago. Like it, it, you know, I got that little lump in my throat. Like when you identify as something that you feel like so ingrained into your soul to feel like you're letting go of that, unless you have moving, you have something clearly in mind that you are creating, that you are working towards it's just, you're not going to let go. I don't think, I don't think, because I think change is hard for most humans. Mm. I certainly know for me it is like, I have to be, I have to consciously be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to embrace this change. It may be uncomfortable, but I know it's like, I've got to be on board with what I'm moving towards. 1000%. Thank you for sharing that. I think the narrative around the transition, like, like you said, that internal narrative is so key because you can focus on what it is you're losing or you can focus on what it is you could be gaining right in the new season and we are loss averse beings we are risk averse yeah so you always be like goodness me i'm losing everything i've done like i'm losing all that i am i'm losing my tribe i'm losing my identity i'm losing my significance i'm losing my status but you have to work internally of I'm gaining X, Y, Z um, rather yeah. than I'm losing. That's- no, I, you know, I love the term you just said about loss of it's going to help clarify for me because it's something we talk about as financial planners, which right. is the idea, right? That, you know, I don't give it like right now, right? The markets have been going down. It's been a challenging time for at least traditional investing, which is why I feel so blessed in Morton. You know, we do a lot of investing in other niche opportunities that, um, are doing quite well. So it helps us buffering the downside. Not that our you know traditional equities and bonds and our portfolios are down like the market, but it's just mm. a lesser portion of how much we manage. But this notion of like a 10% decline feels way worse than a 10% gain. Right? Yeah. I think studies show it's something like a three to one sort of ratio wow. right? like, or two to one. It's something like, like it's, it is significant. You need a gain on the upside, like two to three times as much to get the equal amount of elation Mm. or joy on the upside than you do on the downside. Exactly to your point, because we're we're wired internally for survival to avoid pain, to avoid losses. That makes so much sense. Like in terms of, you know, you find like a lot of entrepreneurs that when they say, you know, I'll be happy when I hit this, level of success or you know or I sell my business and then they get there and it's hollow yeah that's a whole different rabbit that's hole. A whole- <laughs> the, the, look I think again I think we experience it you know regularly all of us in our careers right yeah. um I think it goes back to our point around what we were just talking about around you know buying that bigger home right, right. or getting that car or whatever it is and I don't think things what we're looking for is the feeling. Mm. What we're looking for is the feeling that we, that, that we associate with what we think those things will bring. Right. But again, I've studied a lot of behavioral finance. I'm fascinated by it because I love psychology. And, and one of the things that studies have shown too is humans are, we are really bad at predicting what we think is actually going to make us happy. <laughs> yeah. I, I've kind of accepted that in my life. Right? Yeah. So what what does make us happy? Um I think the feeling of connection. Right. 
I believe the field. I, I so one of my one of my favorite books is this is it's called um, Inner Excellence. Um, Jim Murphy, I believe, is the author, and it's something I, I I have read numerous times for myself. I feel like it's been transformative for me, uh, just in terms of how how I try to operate as a you know as a as a financial advisor, as a husband, as a friend, um, as a business person. Um, a lot of my teammates, I mentor them through it because I I believe so strongly in it. But it's basically his the book is about how. Olympic athletes or how athletes, he studied athletes, how they could perform at such a high level. And so he gives an example of like, how can somebody like who goes to the Olympics and their sport might be literally for like a minute, right? Mm. Train their entire lives, right? And, but in sustain that level of excellence. And what he points out in the book is those who perform at that level of excellence, right? And I think most of us, like from the time we're brought up as kids, it's like, you know, you know, what did you get? Did you get good grades? Good grades right? did, you get yeah. that, you know, did you get that promotion? Right. Did you, you know, did you close that client? Right. Did you, you right. know, did you make the sale, whatever it is. And it's always predicated on, you know, the accomplishment of the outcome. And what he shows is those who accomplish at a high level are so process focused that they, they don't, they don't internalize the wins and losses the same way. They mm. look at it as feedback to then just go back to the next day, to go back to the practice and constantly improve themselves. And they are constantly focused on, on the, the process of whatever their craft is and right. getting incrementally better day by day. And it's through that that they, in the process of who they become through that, that is really the determinant of excellence. I and it was just that. a fascinating... And it's it really and maybe it boils down to that old adage: "It's the journey, not the destination." Right. 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 Here, so um, I know I know for me, um, peace of mind is you know as I get older, probably one of the single biggest things that I I don't know if I would say that brings me happiness, but it's a state of which like I I don't want to trade other, you know, whether it's things or time, it's balancing that, like trying on a daily basis to practice that it's, um, focusing on the process, right. Mm. Who I'm becoming through, whether it's as a financial advisor or, you know, I've been training in jujitsu the last four years and I'm finally moving up to a blue belt. I'm, you know, years ago I would have beat myself up that I'm like not already a black belt. Mm. Right. And, and so I'm also, my body's not just, you know, it's older, the injuries are there. I have to honor that. And so, for example, when I, you know, when I go and I train with my partners, it's not like, did they, you know, submit me or did I get them? And like, cause that's my ego talking to me. It's like, okay, what did I learn from this? Did I show up and did I give my best? And some days it's, you know, I feel like I'm performing up there and some days it's a little less, but as long as I knew that day I gave it my best, I can walk off the mat and feel like, Hey, I did it. Um, in my conversations with clients, right? Am I really present? Am I asking the right questions? Am I giving them honest feedback on whatever question they're asking me about? If I don't know the answer to something, hey, you know, I may not know the answer right now. That's okay. But I can certainly find out the answer and get right back to you. Or, hey, no, this is exactly what I think we need to do. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Powerful. Such, so insightful and so helpful for entrepreneurs as well. Um, like yeah. You said, who can be so focused on the outcome and not really on the process, which is what, frankly, we have control over. We have no control. 
well, we have some control, but there's a decoupling between the input and the output. Yeah, Um, I I agree with you, right? And and all too often, I think we, and it's, that's actually part of the conversations we have to have with clients, whether the business owners or, you know, regular wealth management clients is clarifying with them what, what do, like, we don't have control over, ultimately over how markets react, right? Right. We, there are certain things that are directly under our control, not that we ignore those things, right? There are things that are out of our control and there are things that are directly under our control. Let's absolutely focus on the things that are directly under our control to increase the likelihood of, of success for you. Mm-hmm. And then the things that are out of our control, we need to thoughtfully manage and navigate around to the best that we can. But we can't obsess over those things and allow them to paralyze us with fear so much that we don't take action. It's like, literally, you've just given the great prelude to my next two questions. So the things that are within the control of business owners who are thinking about a potential sale, um, what are those things within their control? What can they start working on? So uh, I'll share with you one thing um, right now that I think most owners don't go through. Um, I'm a big fan of a book called Vivid Vision. Um, It is... Uh, a book, I, f- I forget the Cameron Farr, I believe is his name. And I'm going to start there because I was actually having a conversation with somebody just yesterday who um, she's a business owner and um, she feels like she's doing, she's wearing so many hats, mm. right? And she's getting, cha- she's getting challenged on getting buy-in from some of her partners and, and, and some of those under her, you know, you know, under her leadership. And I suggested the book and I said, look, take the time to read it. And what it does is it asks you to essentially look out three years and not just, you know, create a one page mission statement, but to vividly visualize what is in the business owner's head around what they want to create. It doesn't get into the how, even I think specifically says in there, don't worry about the how. That's the rest of your team will help you with the how. Mm. It is, it, it's combining sort of that Simon Sinek, like what, right. why? Your yeah. why, but even more in depth than that. And and mm. anyways, I think it's a great tool to start to craft a strategic plan for the company, a strategic vision, I should say, for the company that too oftentimes lives in the owner's heads. Mm. And it we've done it here at Morton, and I will say our CEO Jeff Sardi um, led the charge on it. And it's something that's, you know, it's a four to six page document that we just had our company holiday party retreat. So it was a combination of work and, and, and fun. Uh, and we use it, we look at it every quarter. And I will tell you, when we do those, people come away so invigorated around what, about, around ultimately the company mission, what we stand for, which is um, better, really creating better investors is what our mm-hmm. mission is. Um, and so that, that's definitely one thing that I think an owner can do that they have under control, right? Mm, um yeah. that, that that that's just that's one of many right i'm sure there are others and um, my throughout the conversation today i've been thinking the impacts of the markets and like potential recession yeah. and like so you had kind of alluded to um when you're talking to clients we we focus on what we can control and yeah. what we can't control we risk mitigate 
to the extent that we can. So sure. how, how do you help them like what, walk us through your thinking around yeah. how you support- So on, on the financial planning side, right? And this, and we're doing this obviously with business owners too, when we're looking at like, obviously the, the business asset, but how it plays into their personal financial plan, right? Which is the hallmark of what we do. And, and the first thing I call it creating a, really it's a financial roadmap, right? And that is essentially looking at, right, what are all the, what, from where you are today, and I use the analogy of going to a doctor, if I want to get in the best shape of my life, right, I have to take a current assessment today of, you know, what's my current body fat, right? Mm. Uh, what's my current cholesterol level? What's my standing heart rate, et cetera, doing that, that assessment. And so we can calibrate the steps we need to take to get me to where we want to go. Same holds true in our financial lives, right? Mm. Where are you today, right, in terms of your sources of income, Let's get real clear on what your expenses are, what are your assets, what are your liabilities, okay? And let's actually start to create that financial roadmap of where you are today. And we'll run it, you have to obviously, we run it out to age 100. So I'm getting a little technical here, but we're creating <laughs> essentially a roadmap. Now, now, what are the signs along the way, the mile markers on this journey that are going to let you know that you're living that life to the fullest, right? Is it those travel experiences, Right. Is it making like I know education is very important for my wife and I. My wife uh, did not go to a regular four year degree. She ended up doing it while she was working. I put myself through college. Mm -hmm. Um, So for us, our children, like those are the things that are built into our financial plan. Um, Is it taking care of an elderly parent? That's actually something in my own life that my Mm -hmm. wife and I are doing. And so um, is it, you know, is it charitable endeavors that are really important to supporting? I know that's something you're passionate about. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. How do you create alignment around what, how people want to live, right? What their financial resources are. And so then all of a sudden, once we have that visibility, right, then we can start playing the what if game around um, incorporating what are the things that are under our control? Okay. Well, is it, is it, uh, is it, do we need to think about a, a stronger saving strategy, right? Around where we're deploying our money and our expenses. Um, do we need to think about, if, if is a client need to think about working longer or at a place of retirement, does it make sense to have them delay social security? Mm. Uh, if there's more advanced techniques around like Roth conversions, uh, those are things, discussions we're having. If we start incorporating estate discussions, we're talking about family legacy planning, right? Does it make sense to start thinking about gifting sooner than later? Right? Right. Because we know the exemption right now is roughly 12 million per person. Yeah. potentially going to change in uh, 2025, 2026. And so is that something that a business owner, if they're contemplating a sale, right, needs to start thinking ahead of time. So there's just so many myriads of factors. Is a client open to moving states? We hear that all the time in California, mm. right? California's a great state, but it's the most expensive sunshine in the, in the world, right? And so um, there are a lot of business owners and just individuals, wealthy individuals who are leaving the state. Mm. Is that something that's on the table? that they want to consider. Um, how does that affect what their financial plan might uh, might or might not look like? Uh, so those are things that are, I'm giving examples that are generally right under their control. Then we move into things that maybe aren't under the under their control, right? And that is, you know, long-term care event. Mm-hmm. Um, we often will illustrate um, what happens if one or both spouses have an event if they're uninsured or do they need to think about insurance? Can they self-insure? If not, then what is the cost of the insurance? Let's start building that into the equation so that we can manage around that risk to some degree, depending on, again, their financial resources, depending on their psychological, you know, 
um, reaction to uh, to insurance because hmm. uh, some people just have such a strong aversion to to insurance. Um, will stress test um, essentially is a you know what if the markets are down or your portfolio is down hmm. uh, you know ten percent for a couple of years because um, again we can't control the markets is that a risk you're willing to you know take it's obviously not ideal but we've got to be realistic here right um, obviously equity markets are down you know fifteen to twenty percent give or take and bonds are down you know twelve to fifteen percent this year. Uh, again, we tend to on a portfolio management side, we tend to be way more conservative in terms of risk management, hit a lot right. of single doubles and incorporate a lot of alternative investments, which actually can juice the returns that are non-correlated. Um, first trustees, uh, healthcare royalties, uh, real estate partnerships, uh, all, uh, uh, real estate equity partnerships um, that might hold you know, multifamily apartments or student housing or industrial storage facilities. So just different types of sort of institutional investments that most traditional investors, retail, you know, most traditional investors maybe don't have uh, Mm. access to individual investors. Mm. So those are, those are things that are under our control in terms of bringing them into the portfolio. Um, A premature death, right? Right. That's something that if the, the high earner in the family, right, if they were to pass away early, that's out of their control, Right. What does that do to the plan? So it's it's literally once you build that baseline, then it's starting to incorporate the realities of life. Right. And and, you know, again, what's under our control, what's not and uh, planning accordingly. Mm. Um, I'm intrigued. You mentioned self-insurance. What is that? Is that just literally? I mean, it's the idea that I mean, at the end of the day, right? It's like if I don't have auto insurance and I'm in a car wreck, right? I just pay out of pocket. Oh right, I, yeah. I, I <laughs> oh okay. That's all. That's a con. Sorry, it's it's like right. lingo, but it's the idea that you cover your yeah the, you're you're insuring your insuring that risk versus the idea of paying an insurance company, right? Uh-huh. Uh, obviously, there's there, and I'm putting aside like whatever's mandated by law, but the with the, the idea specifically with like life insurance with long-term care, with umbrella policies, right? Which mm-hmm. for most of our clients, we recommend they have um, at least a basic uh, umbrella um, to mitigate some of this, some of the risk. Right. Um, yeah. But, it, you know, at a certain point, you can't insure every possible scenario in the world. And so, you know, inevitably you're, you are self-insuring to some degree likely. Mm. What what I love about everything you said is really it all boils down to values. Um, whether it's thinking through yes. exit planning of your business or thinking mm-hmm. through building up your portfolio, it's all like what matters to you. Like what yeah, do you want from totally. your life? Right. Yeah. That's why I call it life planning. I mean, that's what I truly feel like we do, hmm. which is what I feel like I, I just love. I think that we're so blessed to be able to do because there's very few professions anymore. I think the, the, the family doctor, you know, 50 years ago before mm. the change in medicine, like where, where you get a window into a client's life in a level that is so, um, requires, I think a level of a relationship that's so deep yeah. and anyways vulnerable yeah. that it's a position of trust that it truly requires a level of, um, that we, we need to honor that. Mm. And it's truly a privilege. It really is. And so, you know, um, it's not something we take lightly. Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, if anyone would like to get in touch with you, Drew, how best can they reach you? 
Yeah, they can certainly uh, give me a call. I love picking up the phone. Uh, that's 818-591-6219. Email's great as well, uh, jc2 at Morton Wealth. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, so Joe C2 on LinkedIn. Uh, so any of those three ways uh, would be great. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much for our conversation. I really enjoyed this. Same here. I love that conversation with Joe. What I found just so profound was this distinction between focusing on the process versus focusing on the outcome. I think traditionally we've been raised in a society that's so outcome oriented, whether it's through our education, what grades are you getting or, you know, what job do you have? How much money do you have? How well is your business doing? And so on and so forth. And we can quite often crucify ourselves with these expectations based on outcomes. And frankly, outcomes are just outcomes. That's what they are. A lot of what goes into outcomes are beyond our control. And I was having this conversation with a bunch of mentees the other day, and that's like, what are you in control of? Frankly, it's the input, right? So if you can hone and optimize for what is within your control, And like Joe said, use the outcomes as just data, data to evaluate how well is my process? How do I need to hone my craft? You know, Um, whether this is great data or whether this is terrible data, every opportunity is a learning moment. I just found that just so insightful and so incredible. So I'll be picking up the copy he mentioned on inner excellence. I also really loved his thinking around generally applying this to what am I in control of when it comes to thinking through my exit plan in my business, but also thinking through my financial plan and what am I not in control of? I really love that conversation with respect to risk mitigation, um, really thinking through different scenarios and thinking through what are the levers that will need to shift in this given scenario. Whilst we're not in control of everything, we can have some foresight and some considered thinking behind these things so that we're not completely caught unawares. Really love that episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. Um, Thank you for for your listenership and your loyalty and all your support. I really, really, I'm so grateful for this podcast. I'm so grateful for all of you. Thank you. As always, take good care and God bless you.